We are very glad you're here tonight as we uh, continue our summer series. Uh, of course, we're missing a lot of our uh, young people tonight. They're having an area-wide. Uh, several churches are over at Faulkner tonight. Their young people are, and so that's where they are. But we're glad you're here, and uh, we want you to know that. We have several folks that are visiting with us tonight. We're always honored and thankful to have our guest. Uh, of course, tonight our speaker is Brother Melvin Ote. Uh, we've grown to love and appreciate Melvin and his family. Of course, his wife and two boys are still in Washington, D.C., where she's conducting a camp up there. She does every summer for about five weeks, and we miss them while they're away. And uh, Melvin's been a little bit under the weather here, but uh, uh, you probably couldn't tell unless I told you tonight. But uh, anyhow, he does a fantastic job. He's a great gospel preacher and uh, uh, very true to... Uh, God's Word, standing up for what's right, and uh, we appreciate Melvin. He currently uh, teaches at Jones School of Law and does an outstanding job there, and uh, very, very talented, and uh, we are blessed to have him and his family here at Delreda. All right, good evening. Have I been away that long? We forgot how to do this. Good evening. Okay, now I know I'm in the right place. Now I know I'm in the right place. I appreciate uh, that thoughtful prayer, uh, Bob, and I appreciate Doug's introduction. You know, if I could have Doug to announce me every time I walk into my house, I could, I'd be a little better off, man. Because I think sometimes my family forgets what kind of guy they're living with. Um... So we've got two sides of one coin here. Uh, John taught last week on a Christian's view of law and order, and I am to teach this week on a Christian's view of law and order. Uh, but I think the difference is that uh, his emphasis was to be on order and mine on law. These two things do, uh, they do coalesce to a large extent and degree, so there may be some overlap, but I'm going to try to emphasize the idea of a Christian's view of the law. When we think about law, first thing uh, maybe that we want to do, what happened to my, uh, did I do something, something wrong here, something illegal? Okay. Well, uh, maybe it'll, maybe it'll catch up with us, but, oh, I know what happened. I know what happened. All right, y'all give me a second. I'm going to try to see that come back on. All right. All right. When we think about a Christian's view of the law, I'm the kind of person who likes to define our terms first. So when we use the word law, generally speaking, now there's different kinds of law we understand or different areas in which there, there is the existence of law. But the word generally refers to a system of rules that regulates conduct for the members of a group or a community. There are some kinds of rules that constrain and control people's behaviors. And those rules are enforceable by some kind of punishment. Now, some laws are very formal and codified. You'll remember that when God had uh, Israel out in the wilderness, he he called Moses to the side and he gave him a litany of rules that the children of Israel were to follow. And those were written down. They were very formal. 
but I would say to you, there was law, Jehovah given law before that time, whether it was written or not. And so we'll see in some of the things that I'm going to mention tonight that uh, some laws are very formal and some may be less so, but they still would qualify as laws if they are rules that constrain and regulate behaviors within a certain group and if they are uh, enforceable by some kind of punishment. Um, here's what I would say the first thing if our question is, what is a Christian's view of law? The first thing I would tell you is that Christians acknowledge the existence of law. They acknowledge uh, that there is some regulation, there is some enforcement to which they are amenable. Listen to this. In every significant aspect of their lives, by God's design, there is law, there is regulation for the human's life in every significant sphere. Uh, and so every human being exists under an umbrella of laws. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean to say there's more than one law and more than one source of law. And Christians recognize that not everybody does. There are many people in this world who think they are a law unto themselves or that they become authoritative because they have more power than someone else. Christians understand that God has ordered the world and he has ordered societies in such a way that every human being who exists, exists and is amenable to more than one law, an umbrella of laws. The first and most significant, of course, uh, and so a Christian would acknowledge that uh, he is amenable to God in everything. You know, as I told you, when there's never been a time when men did existed where there wasn't law. Uh, when God made Adam and Eve, you remember, he puts them in the garden and he tells them what they were to do. But then he also tells them you can eat of every tree, every tree in here. But there's the one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat of that. And then he says to them in the day that you do eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, you see, he has given them certain freedoms, but he has regulated their behavior even there in the garden. And he tells them that if they were to fail to observe the regulation, then they would be subjected to punishment and the punishment being death. Genesis chapter three. So you can see that that was law for Adam and Eve back there in the garden. And you go on and on and on. You can see that when uh, Cain and Abel, uh, when we read about Cain and Abel in the next chapter, Cain kills his brother Abel. And the Bible tells us that God banishes him and he is punished. And what does Abel's or Cain say in response? My punishment is greater than I can bear. He has breached in some way a regulation that God has put into place. And the consequence, the enforcement was that he is to be punished. Jehovah is sovereign. He is the lawgiver in everything, and that existed before we have any record of a formal written law. Of course, the time did come when God gave formal written law. When he called Israel out of Egypt and had them in the wilderness, the Bible tells us he gave them a law code. And we read that in the, in the Pentateuch, in the books of the Torah, the law. And so there on that occasion, he gave them some formal law and Israel recognized God as the great law giver. In Isaiah chapter 33 and verse 22, for example, the Bible says, 
for Jehovah is our judge. Jehovah is our lawgiver. Jehovah is our king. He will save us. He is our lawgiver. Now that is Israel. That is Israel. In the New Testament, in James chapter four, we see something similar. Jews, Old Testament Jews, recognize that God is the ultimate lawgiver. James chapter four and verse number 12, Christians, early Christians, recognize that God is still the great lawgiver. One only is the lawgiver and judge, even who, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you that you judge your neighbor? One only is the lawgiver. Does that mean that there is no other who can give law? No, but ultimately all law goes back to the ultimate lawgiver. There's only one of those, and that one is Jehovah. The whole world is amenable to his law. You recall that when God took to the side this Old Testament people, uh, they had a special law, but that did not leave the rest of the world without law unto God. And there are several passages that make that point. If you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, for example, here Paul is sort of describing his process, the way he went about sharing the gospel with folks. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he makes this point almost in passing. Verse number 20, he's talking about the way that he interacted with those who have a Jewish background. He says, and to the Jews, I became as a Jew that I might gain Jews to them that are under the law, the law of Moses as under the law, not being myself under the law that I might gain them that are under the law. Now, listen to this. Now, he's talking about those of a Jewish background in verse 20, verse 21. He's talking about those with a Gentile background. He says to them that are without law as without law. To those Gentiles who didn't have the law of Moses, I proceeded as one who was not bound by the law of Moses. But then he says, not being without law to God, but under law to Christ, that I might gain those that are without law. Even those who were not under the law of Moses were amenable to the law of Christ, bound by the law of Christ, obligated to regulate their lives by the law of Christ, and a failure to do so would be properly punished. Look at Romans chapter 1. He makes a similar point here. You can see very clearly that even though the Gentiles did not have uh, the special law that God gave to the Jews, they were still subject to regulation by God. Romans chapter 1. In verse 28, and even as they, the Gentiles, refused to have God in their knowledge, God gave them up unto a reprobate mind to do things that are not fitting, uh, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, covetousness, ma maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, hateful to God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, unmerciful. Listen to this who knowing the ordinance of God, you could substitute the law, you could substitute the word statute, who knowing the ordinance of God, that they that practice such things are worthy of death, are worthy of punishment, not only do the same, but also consent with them that practice them. Uh, what I'm saying to you is even people who didn't receive the law written on tables of stone were given law by God and never had a time when they were not subject to his authority, his rule, and thus properly subject to punishment if they didn't accept his regulation. We exist under an umbrella of laws. Everyone is amenable to the law of God, but not God only. 
God, in his wisdom, has ordered societies, nations of men under the law of certain human rulers and authority in his authority. As the ultimate lawgiver, Jehovah has empowered human authorities to make and enforce laws over nations and groups of men. Now, you see this in the Old Testament where there were kings and so forth over groups of people. But it is even more. It is even more interesting to me that when God had these this special people, the Bible says he was their king. And the time came when they wanted to be like all the nations around them. And God selected a man to be king over them and gave him the form and function of making and enforcing laws, regulating their behaviors. God endorsed this idea that certain human beings would be lawgivers over other human beings. Bible says in Daniel chapter two and verse number 21 that God is the one who removes kings and listen to it, sets up kings. By God's design, there are human authorities regulating the behaviors of vast groups of men. In 1 Peter 2, verse 13 and 14, the apostle says, be subject to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Wait a minute. For the Lord's sake, you mean to say we are to obey laws promulgated by other human beings? Peter says, yes, and you do that for the Lord's sake. It's part of his design for the human family, whether to the king as supreme or unto governors as sent by him for vengeance on evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Secular authorities then are empowered to promulgate a system of rules to constrain and restrain the behaviors of individuals within the groups that they within the groups that they are to be lawgivers for. See, Christians respect that. Christians respect the fact that they are amenable to God's laws and they are amenable to the laws promulgated by the leaders of the societies in which they live. Not everybody does. But the Christian view of the law would demand that he or she does. I'd also point out to you, and I won't say as much about this at this moment, but but under the umbrella of law that God has given to the human family, God expects that people are to be submissive to and respect the law of their masters with regard to their employment. Now, we're becoming a little more narrow and focused here. You see, Jehovah is the lawgiver over everyone and everything. And then he empowers certain secular authorities to be lawgivers over groups of men to order the functioning of individuals within a society. And then he says, and in your employment, masters are to be lawgivers for those in their employ. What do we mean? They're not passing statutes, but they're going to tell you what to do, when to do it, how to do it, how long to do it. They're going to give you all kinds of rules, policies and so forth. And Jehovah expects that servants are to listen to the law promulgated by their masters. That's why Christians make the best employees. Because they respect law. They respect authority and they do what they're supposed to do and they don't have to be watched over and they don't have to be uh, treated like some kind of criminal who spied upon to make sure they do what they're supposed to do. Christians respect the law. Leaders in churches. Bible tells me that uh, God expects certain men, qualified men 
to have the power to listen to me carefully now to make and enforce law. But underneath his authority, now nobody's going to ever supersede God's authority, but where God gives us some general guidance as to what we are to do and how we are to do it, then in matters of discretion, qualified men are to exercise. The Bible says rule over their brothers and sisters in Christ. God has ordered, he has arranged even the affairs of the church in this way. Elders are specifically tasked with ruling or presiding or overseeing local congregations. Even there, there is law. Even there in the church, there is law, human law, human law underneath God's authority. I'd also point out to you that uh, God expects, God expects that there will be law even in the home. You see how we're becoming much more narrow and restrictive here. I'm taking you from the overall and the public sphere all the way down to the most private and the most intimate sphere of living that is in your home. Do you realize that God empowers human beings to exercise and to promulgate law and to enforce law even in the home? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. He appoints in the home a lawgiver. First Corinthians 11 and verse number three, the Bible says the husband is the head of the wife. He is the one who is to promulgate rules and regulations and so forth to order the affairs that are taking place in his home. The Bible tells me that parents are to promulgate law for their children. You know what's going on in the world right now, sidebar. You know what's going on in the world right now. Parents are not promulgating law for their children. They're allowing children to raise themselves, do whatever they want to do. But by God's design, there's to be order in the home because parents are to regulate the home, to give boundaries and to restrain behaviors and to punish lawless children who would not respect the boundaries and not respect the restraints. There is an umbrella of law. Every human being, by God's design, abides under an umbrella of law. Jehovah, first and foremost, he rules and reigns over everything. He constrains every aspect of your life if you subject yourself to him and you will listen. You live in a nation, and our nation's unique in some ways. We have a we have a, a federal government and then we have a state government and then we sometimes have a county government and then we maybe have a city government. We've got all this government. And by God's design, you're properly subject to it all. In the church, you're not going to get away from law. On your job, you're not going to get away from it. And uh, when you go home, you run right back into the law by God's design. Christians understand that. Christians acknowledge that. Christians don't have a problem with that. I'd also uh, point out to you that Christians abide within the regulation and enforcement that is given in every significant aspect of their lives. And the reason is because Christians understand that the way they respond to the law in all these various spheres of their lives is a response. It is indicative of their relationship with Jehovah, the one who gives us the umbrella of law. 
And so as I deal with my my uh, supervisor on my job, it's not about my supervisor on my job. As I respond to the secular powers and authorities who tell me where to get on and where to get off, how I respond to them has nothing to do with them. And it has everything to do with my relationship with Jehovah, the one who provides the umbrella of law. Maybe we'll be a bit more specific here. Christians respect divine law. And when I say respected, I mean to say Christians obey divine law. Christians are taught to respect the laws promulgated by Jehovah and designed to constrain their freedoms in life. You know what law does? I told you it restrains your behaviors. It limits your freedoms. Christians don't have a problem with that. Christians acknowledge that and they abide within the law, abide within the restrictions that God gives them. Listen to this in every aspect of their lives. They abide within Jehovah's law. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, uh, this is uh, this is just one one passage where I think it's all very clear what God expects here in terms of abiding within his law. In Deuteronomy 11, verse 26, beginning. Moses is writing to the children of Israel there and he says, behold, I set before you this day a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you shall hearken unto the commandments of Jehovah, your God, the commandments, the law, which I command you this day. And the curse, he says, if you shall not hearken unto the commandments of Jehovah, your God, but turn aside out of the way, which I command you this day to go after other gods, which you have not known. Some people think of the Bible as a bunch of polite suggestions. A self-help book. No, ma'am. The Bible is filled with laws and commands and there are consequences for obedience and disobedience. That's what law is. Everyone is suspect is expected to surrender, order, arrange their lives according to the law of Jehovah. And it is the paramount law that any man or woman is going to face in life. Next chapter five and verse twenty nine. You remember uh, Peter and the apostles there sort of being uh, pressured a bit. Uh, because they were told not to preach in Jesus name and they do it anyway. And then they're called again and they said, listen, didn't we tell you, didn't we tell you not to preach in this man's name? Uh, and Peter says to them, you know, listen, uh, we must obey God rather than men. Say, we know there's other law out here, but there's no law that supersedes God's law. It's the highest law a man or woman will ever be confronted with. And Christians respect that. Now, at the same time, Christians respect secular law. We acknowledge that it's there, but Christians will respect it. They will abide within it. They understand that it is the Lord. He's the one who has ordained and arranged things in this way. And the Bible teaches that Christians are to respect the secular authorities. Titus chapter three and verse one, put them in mind to be in subjection to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready unto every good work. The apostle Paul is telling his disciple, Titus, listen, you teach the rest of the people that they are to be obedient to the secular powers and to these authorities. Listen, that's the way Christians respond to law. They obey it so long as it does not conflict with the law of their God. Romans 13, of course, is one of the paramount passages on this in the New Testament. Romans 13, verse 2, 
or verse one beginning, let every soul be in subjection to the higher powers. I think that's pretty good, right? Every soul, who does that miss? Let every soul be in subjection to the higher powers, the Bible says, for there is no power but of God and the powers that be are ordained of God. Verse two, therefore, he that resists the power withstands the ordinance of God and they that withstand shall receive to themselves judgment. Did you see what he said? Why do I care what the secular authorities have to say to me? Who do they think they are? They may not know who they are, but I do. They are ordained of God. And if I don't listen to them, the Bible tells me now I've got a problem with God because it is his ordinance. It is his statute. It is his law. It is his command that I obey them. And did you see it? The consequence, the punishment of my failure to do that is now I will be condemned. I will be judged. There is a punishment that comes with not obeying the secular authorities. There is a punishment that comes. My concern is not the secular authorities. These are human beings just like I am. They make mistakes just like I do. They've got sometimes greater failings than I do. I listen to them and I obey the law because I respect God. My response to the secular authorities is a direct consequence of my relationship with God. In verse four, in that same passage, Romans 13, Bibles can't be more clear. He is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do that, which is evil, be afraid for he bears not the sword in vain. He is a minister of God. Second time, an avenger of, for wrath to him that does evil. He is a minister of God. That's why I listen. He doesn't know that, but I do. That's the Christian's view. That's the Christian's view. Christians are taught to respect the laws that are promulgated by church leaders. And we think of elders in particular uh, in their work, in the, in the work that they do in the church. We are constrained to listen to those who have been empowered because the Holy Spirit has worked to them with them to that degree. And God has seen fit to have them be placed in these positions in this church. Hebrews 13, you know, in verse uh, 17, he says that we are to uh, we are to be subject to these people who have given been given the rule. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit to them. Now, the submitting is the part. See, this is my response. This is me. This is me abiding in the law. Obey them. Submit to them for they watch in behalf of your souls as they that shall give account that they may do this with joy and not with grief for this is uh, unprofitable for you. So there's a selfish, there's a selfish aspect to this. I mean, hey, listen, you mean these men are looking out for me? You ought to make it easy for them to look out for you, you know. But then, but see, he says something else. He says, they must give an account. They're not giving an account to me. They're giving an account to God for how they've watched for my soul. And I'm supposed to have enough respect for God that I will not make it difficult for them to do what God wants done. Is that making sense? See, this is how the Christian has to view this. See, in matters of discretion, this can be done one way or the other way. You know what? We can go left or we can go right. We can still get to the same place. I'm thinking we should go left. The elder said we should go right. Now, which way are we going to go? I respect God enough to go right because that's what the elder said. That's the way a Christian has to view this. In your employment, I told you, and I didn't say as much about it at the time, but, but God has set this thing up so that there will be leaders even in the work, making sure that the work gets accomplished. And do you know that God expects Christians to abide in the law given by their masters, their employers? 
There's several passages on this in the New Testament. I, I'll just try to mention one or two here, but in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, Servants, be obedient unto them that according to the flesh are your masters with fear and trembling. Listen to this. In singleness of your heart as unto Christ. My ability to respect, to abide within and do what the law of my masters requires is based on my relationship with Christ because he says do it to them as if I were doing it unto Christ. And that's the context in which he says not in the way of eye service, not in the way of a man pleaser, but as servants of Christ doing, doing the will of God from the heart. This is why Christians make the best employees. Because we'll serve our masters in the flesh the way we would serve Christ if he were our master in the flesh. In Titus chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Peter's writing to Titus again, or Paul is writing to Titus again. He says, exhort, encourage servants to be in subjection to their own masters and to, the, to be well-pleasing to them. Listen to this, in all things, that's the Christian view. That's what Christians teach. You be in subjection and you do the best job you can in your employment in all things, he says, not gainsaying, not purloining or stealing, not showing, uh, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior in all things. That's the motivation, not about them. I've had some good bosses and some that were not so good. But see, I've got to be who God expects me to be, whatever kind of boss this is, because of my relationship with God. That's the Christian view. Some people say, well, you know, he's not a good boss, so I'm not going to work very hard. I get it. You don't respect God. You, you don't respect his law. You don't respect the umbrella of law that he's provided. You can get away with something like that until God judges you for it. Christians are taught to respect not only the law of employment on the law of the church, but also the law of the family. I told you, God has said in his word very clearly that men are to be the heads of their wives. And God has said very clearly that men are to uh, promulgate law for their children, to discipline children when they don't obey and so forth. And mothers, the same thing. I remember in the book of Proverbs, uh, Solomon said, listen, you, you need to... Uh, Follow the commandments of your father and you need to listen to the law of your mother. Children are supposed to be their parents. But now here's how children are supposed to receive this. Children who respect who God is. Here's how, here how, here's how they are supposed to view. Here's how they are supposed to view the law of their family. How they're supposed to, how they're supposed to respond to it. All right. First, wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, see how you respond to your husband? Not about him. He's not the best husband. He's the one you chose. One you chose. But it's not about him. It says be in subjection unto your husband as unto the Lord. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus Christ? Do you know who God is or not? Now, how does God want you to respond? This is the Christian view. I'm not going to be the best wife I can be because I have the best husband in the world. I'm going to be the best wife I can be because I have the best Lord in the world. That's the Christian view. It's not about other people. It's about your relationship, your relationship with God. There's so many passages here. I was really struck by this. I won't bother with them all, but I was really struck by this. I just looked, at, looked up in the Bible all the times it says, uh, wife be in subjection to your husband over and over and over and over and over again. It says that. 
This is the way God expects wives to respond to the law of their husband. Uh, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Ephesians 6 and 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord. See, if you don't raise your children to know who the Lord is, you're going to have problems with your children. You're going to have problems with your children because how are they going to know how to obey you when they don't know how to obey God? You teach them to obey you because you are expected to obey God. You teach them they need to obey you as they obey the Lord so that when they're old enough, they will know how to obey the Lord. Teach them to respect law. And they'll know how to respect God when they become directly accountable to him. Colossians 3 and 20. Children, obey your parents in all things. I know, you know, I just figure I know more than my parents. I just figure I know more than them. Even in the areas where you know more, obey your parents in all things. This is well-pleasing in the Lord. That's why you do it. That's why you do it. You know, your parents get up and work hard every day, and that's good. That's great. They set a good example for you. That's good. That's great. So you should do what they say, right? But even if they don't, you should do what they say. Not the best parent, still your parent. That's the position God put them in to the extent that they're not trying to get you to do things that God doesn't want done. You need to do exactly what they say in all things, in all things. And so Christians abide in the law. The last thing I'll point out is uh, Christians not only acknowledge the law, they recognize that they are bound by law and they have no problem with it. They not only abide in the law, they do what the law requires in every significant aspect of their lives. But they also they also appreciate the regulation and enforcement that comes in every aspect of their lives because human beings live better lives under the umbrella of law that God provides. See, Christians know the world is a better place with law. The country is a better country with law. Their employment is better. Their congregations are better and their homes are better because of law. This is the way God set this thing up. And Christians appreciate that. Christians value that. When I say appreciate the law, one of the things, of course, in my study of the law and my teaching of the law, here's one of the first things. Here's one of the first things I tell my students in criminal law. I had to tell students this week. Okay, what is law? We've talked about that. Okay, well, what is criminal law? And I'm not going to bother you with that. Um, But what I tell them when it comes to the law and criminal law and the ordering of society, what I tell them is that, you know, when you live in a community with people, you implicitly agree, you implicitly contract to forego certain things you might incur, you might be able to obtain without the law, You implicitly agree to forego those things so that by obeying the law, you create a greater sense of security and order for everyone. When you live in a community, it's not about you. It's about the community in your home. It's not about you. It's about the home and everyone that abides therein in the congregation. Not about you, but about everyone who's in the congregation on your job. Not about you, but everyone who works there in your nation. Not about you, but everyone in it and in the world. Not about guess who? Not about you, but everyone in it. We're all better We're all safer. We're all more orderly when we respect the law and Christians understand that and Christians appreciate it. Boy, I'm running out of time. 
I'm going to jam some more in, Doug, just a little bit. When I say that, God's laws restrain injurious behaviors. Uh, I'm not going to belabor this, but I'm going to just point these things out for you. In 1 Timothy 1, verses 8 through 11, the Bible tells us that the law, the Old Testament law, was given specifically because of lawbreakers. See, we wouldn't need law if everybody did what they were supposed to do. But because they don't, then God has to promulgate law. And he says, if you don't restrain yourself within these certain parameters, there will be punishment for those violations. You remember Jesus was asked about the law, the greatest command. And in Matthew 22, he says, listen, you've got to love God with everything that you have. And then he says, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. What is that? He says on those two things, all of that Old Testament law hangs. What is he saying? You respect the great lawgiver, and you don't do anything that would be injurious to your neighbor. That's the purpose of the law. So by God's design, his law restrains injurious behaviors. And second, he gives men the ability to promulgate, to make, to put forward human laws that facilitate our quiet and peaceable living under his authority. So we go with Jehovah, then we go down to the secular powers and we begin to look at those on the job and we look at those in the church and we look at those in the home. All those people, all those human beings are empowered to give law specifically so that others can live quiet and peaceable lives. First Timothy 2, 1 and 2, I exhort therefore, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all men, for kings and all they that are in high places. Why? That we may live a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and gravity. Paul makes the same point in Romans 13. These secular authorities, they're a terror to evil works. You do what you're supposed to do, you're not going to have a problem. But you get out of line, you're going to run into a problem because you're supposed to. Because you're supposed to. I didn't say these human authorities were perfect. We know that they're not. But by God's design, this is the function of law. By God's design, this is how Christians view it. Acknowledge it. Abide within it and appreciate it because God has given us the umbrella of law because it makes our lives better. It makes our lives better. Thank you.